Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champions of Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash Games or later on your favorite podcast service, Mitra Jordan and Rafael Bucamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health in these unprecedented times as well as how gaming affects us. If you're here with us live in the chat, you can leave a question that I, Trevor Bettis, will ask them later in the show. Uh, our topic today is diagnostic overlaps, but before we get to that... Who are you fine people for folks who may not know? Mitra? Sure. I'm Mitra Jordan. I'm a therapist, a clinician working out of Victoria, British Columbia. Um, I work with adults. I work with families. I love games. I love combining games and mental health in my work with people. Um, and I am passionate about topics around mental health obviously especially today <laughs> <laughs> um well i am dr rafael bocamazzo i am a non-practicing doctor of clinical psychology everybody calls me dr b for long italian name reasons uh, i am the clinical director over at TakeThis.org, the first mental health nonprofit to serve the game industry since 2012 we have been trying to educate and destigmatize mental health challenges within our games community. And you can get lots of educational resources over at takethis.org. Uh, we've also been doing a lot more video content. Our mental health minutes, I think, are getting better and are definitely educational. And I'm also an expert on the applied use of role-playing games in clinical and learning settings. And I'm a little worried that my bow tie is off today. But you know what? We're going to roll with that. <laughs> it looks good. It does. Thank you. <laughs> uh, actually, before we hop into it, uh, I did want to give a special shout to Robo Goblin, who is here in the chat, and I know that you are because I saw you there, uh, for the TTRPG GIF uh, Awards this past Saturday, uh, where I definitely learned that I need to write a script before I give a speech because <laughs> I forgot to thank a lot of people, and I'm sorry about that. So if I didn't say you out there, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry I left you hanging there. I was in the throes of a 30-hour fever post-shot two. <laughs> yeah uh but i couldn't uh, even watch that i wanted to yeah but, i'm really uh, sorry i didn't watch either and we really really appreciate yes yeah we and yeah we appreciate you and we yeah. appreciate uh be, being spotlit like that and it meant the mm -hmm. freaking world to to all of us yeah. so thank you very much for that you did an amazing job i can't wait for the next one uh, but, uh, yeah, today is uh, diagnostic overlaps. Where do you all want to start with that? Uh, well, yeah, so turns out, gang, that <laughs> mental health diagnoses are tricky. 
And from both a consumer perspective, a client perspective, and from a practitioner perspective, because while I am non-practicing, I, I am clinically trained and I did used to work with people and I probably will work with people at some point again in the future. But diagnoses are tricky mm -hmm. because there is no one symptom to rule them all for any particular diagnosis. And we've talked about this in the in the past. But you know what, Mitra, you're currently a practicing clinician. What's so hard about figuring out what the diagnosis is for a client? Well, I think the overlap that you talk about is the biggest piece because people can be diagnosed with one thing. But if the diagnosis hasn't been thorough or if the person hasn't maybe recognized some of the impacts of their life experiences, there might be things that just didn't get mentioned. So it's hard to know for sure, first of all, if a diagnosis is correct or if a diagnosis is complete. Um, when I work with people, I don't diagnose because therapists um, don't. Um, particularly in Canada, they don't. Mm -hmm. In Canada, they don't. So wow. Yeah. So a diagnosis is either something a psychologist might offer, but usually when you use the word diagnosis, what you're talking about is a psychiatric diagnosis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it, that's interesting because in the United States, at least in Washington state, the, uh, there are a lot of people who can give mental health diagnoses and like in Washington state, I believe licensed clinical social workers can licensed mental health, clin uh, counselors can psychologists definitely can psychiatrists for sure. Right. Medical doctors. Right. MDs, you can go to your general practitioner. And th this presents some interesting challenges I've heard from a lot of folks because different people have different levels of expertise and familiarity with different diagnoses. Like, I mean, you take the people I trained with, like the people I went to my doctoral program with. That's a five to six year period where looking at mental health diagnoses is all we were trained to do. Mm -hmm. Right. So this isn't to say that a psychologist might not have some kind of um, a battery of tests that they offer and a diagnosis that they come up with. But typically here for more serious mental health diagnoses, um, you would be looking at a psychiatric referral. So, for instance, if somebody is being diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder, that's a medicated process often in terms of managing that. So that's a psychiatric diagnosis because psychologists don't prescribe. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at um, an autism spectrum disorder, right, um, mm -hmm. then you'd probably be looking at uh, a psychological assessment and you'd move from there. So that is something a psychologist would do. So I, there's I, just different uh, different regulations and different kinds mm -hmm. of overlap in terms of who's doing the diagnosing. Um, as a registered clinical counselor, 
I can assist people in working through a possible diagnosis. I can look at clusters of behavior. I can look at life experience. I can rule out the effect of trauma. And we've talked about this in previous episodes as well. But I'm not doing the actual diagnosing. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, a family doctor might do some diagnosing, an MD. um, But for a more serious uh, issue, they'll be referring to a psychiatrist. And the challenge with that is the wait list for the psychiatrist, of course, and what you do in the meantime. So in terms of my experience with ADHD, that was through my general practitioner. Well, and uh, but one of the one of the things that I, I recall being frustrated with back in the back in the days when I was seeing people because I, I could actually diagnose because mm-hmm. um, apparently more people can in the United States than they can in, I, can, they I actually can want- in Canada. I actually wanted to call it one uh, comment that was in the chat from uh, Mayor Kiru. If you've watched Champions Lore, and you know, I'm, you know I'm bad with pronouncing things. Sorry if I pronounce your name wrong. But it said, here in America, we get a free diagnosis with every large fry. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, the, so one of the one i'm gonna just laugh about that. <laughs> I laugh and thing- I cry about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so one of the challenges is that depending on where you you are located geographically, different people are going to be able to do diagnoses, and different people aren't. And but even for the people who are able to do it, mental health diagnoses, psychiatric diagnoses, are they are tricky because you're looking at external clues for internal experiences. Mm-hmm. And you're not looking at, like I said earlier, there's not one symptom to rule them all for any particular diagnosis. You're looking at a lot of different clues. The example I most commonly bring up is depression, major depressive episode, according to, you know, eh, the DSM. (laughs) I have opinions. (laughs) I have very different differing opinions. It's useful until it's not useful. Oh yeah. Um, but the there's nine symptoms of the DSM uh, under the DSM five for major depressive disorder, of which you must meet five, and that's why we're looking at these constellations of symptoms. You don't look at just one because one symptom is going to have overlaps with other things. Mm-hmm. Concentration and attention challenges is the easiest easiest to think about because mm-hmm. so many people used to come in to see me because they were concerned they might have ADHD because that's the diagnosis they associate with concentration and attention problems. Mm-hmm. The problem is concentration and attention problems are affected by pretty much everything. Absolutely. Okay? Like, if you think about it, uh, if you if you think about it, if you're anxious all the time, how well are you going to be able to pay attention? If you it, concentration and attention problems are literally in the list of symptoms for major depressive disorder. Yeah, but bereavement causes constant concentration and attention issues. Um, right. High anxiety also does. Absolutely. Again, great movie. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it, 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 it there. So if you're looking at individual symptoms, you're looking at a wide variety of things, which is part of the challenge. But uh, another one is, and hey, hey, gang in the chat, you ready for some Scrabble words? Uh, uh? 
comorbidity. It's going to get you hey, a lot of bonus points. Well, sequelae will. will definitely get you bonus points because you're using that cue. But um, and I learned before this episode that that word is not a Pokemon version of a quail egg. So. Yeah, that is true. Sequelae yeah. is not a Pokemon. It is yep. a it is a diagnosis thing. But Mitra, in in terms of like comorbidity and sequelae, how does that complicate things in a clinical setting? Well, first of all, what are they? Yeah, why don't you share what they are? Okay, so... <laughs> I love doing this to Dr. B, by the way. <laughs> it's such a no, it's such a therapist thing. I ask for an answer for you, and you turn it around I'm on me. I'm slippery like a fish. <laughs> oh, it's verbal judo. <laughs> but, okay, so comorbidity means co-occurring diagnoses, okay? And it's a really common thing. So I don't know anybody with autism, and I'm I'm no exception to this, okay? Everybody I know who's autistic struggles with depression as a secondary diagnosis, struggles with anxiety as mm -hmm. another secondary diagnosis. I'm not sure I know a single person who's autistic who's just autistic. And so secondary diagnoses, those comorbidities... Um, make things even more challenging because if you've got somebody who has had undiagnosed ADHD all their life, there's a reasonable chance they're going to be struggling with depression. Absolutely. And the and so teasing that out becomes a tricky thing. Like, how do you do that in practice, Mitra? So in practice, I'm fortunate enough that I see people for <clears throat> one hour segments at a time and I get to know their life and that makes a big difference. I'm not trying to come up with a diagnosis. First of all, I'm trying to get to know and deeply listen to the person and tap into their life expertise of themselves. Um, because I think often we have more expertise of ourselves than we recognize. And somebody asking the kinds of questions that, that I ask can help a person recognize um, both their own internal intuitive truths. And that's, you know, when you have that experience where you say, oh, but I knew right at the beginning and I should have listened to myself, you know, but it's helping attune your, your listening ear to that internal voice so that now instead of I should have hindsight, it can actually guide you better. So it's partly becoming more sensitive to your internal world and to your inner truths about how you want to live and your self-acceptance. And it was my acceptance of myself, actually, that helped me really recognize um, how I was struggling with ADHD. And then it's questions like, um, well, given that you were feeling X way, how did you manage to do Y? Like, how did you do that thing that you've been finding so challenging? And then we can look at that, and that actually helps us understand a person's expertise, and it may also help us shed some light on things that might be particularly hard for them to accomplish that they think should be easy, which can then help them understand, are they dealing with a higher amount of anxiety and, le and depression than maybe the average person? Are they, and I don't know who an average person is, but I think you know what I mean, the norm. I think I met them once. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, but I couldn't remember them particularly well. 
Yeah. They're very boring. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> Sorry so, to all the Johns in the chat that I We know you're special. Just we just couldn't help ourselves. You know, anyway, we're we're terrible people really. Uh but um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But what I'm getting at with this is that when you start to unpack your own life experience, you can make more sense of those um the mental health challenges you might be having. Uh, we might learn a lot from what you're doing to overcome them. And that helps fill out the picture of what you're dealing with. So. Well, the, and so the, the, one of the metaphors we talked about before this show, and I'm, I'm starting to think about this and li I like this metaphor more and more is that it, it, when you're playing different video games, okay, there obviously there's similarities between genres and I, I think the 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 games I chose before we started broadcasting this was like Horizon Zero Dawn and one of the Elder Scrolls games mm -hmm. they're they're single player RPGs unless you're playing Elder Scrolls online mm -hmm. and so there there's going to be some overlaps and some similarities in terms of what they're uh what they're doing and how they play but there's also some differences that you're looking for. And so, uh, you know, there's going to be differences in uh, a, an Elder Scrolls game versus like Horizon Zero Dawn. But even within the Elder Scrolls games, there's going to be some clues and a bunch of them that you're playing Morrowind versus Skyrim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they are, it's similar with mental health diagnoses. Yeah. There's no one indicator. You're and looking for patterns. Yeah, you're looking for entire constellations of things yeah. that are entire constellations of things that are of significant enough impact that they disrupt a person's ability to live. This yeah. is like when we when I did when we, we all did the, like the autism and ADHD AMAs, which, by the way, go back and watch those if you haven't, gang. Uh, those are episodes 12 and 13. They were really good. They you, so for autism, it's not just being awkward. And which mm -hmm. is, I think people mean well when they tell me this. Oh, I get it. I'm awkward too. I'm like, no, it is not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not just being awkward. It is a whole series of things that are of significant enough impact to warrant a diagnostic label. And so yeah. it, that, that's where it just gets tricky because some of those things have those overlaps with other things. Yeah. And we're looking for consistency and persistency. So mm -hmm. it's not just Ooh. one time I was really awkward oh, at a party, nice. right? Um, but it's like, no, every time I'm in these kinds of situations, I have this kind of response. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not, I just felt a little down one day. It's like, we're now on week four of me feeling really terrible, mm -hmm. you know? And, and this, there's been periods of this, you know, persistent, consistent throughout my life. And, and for example, I struggled personally with seasonal affective disorder. Um, I haven't always needed to medicate for it, but I will say that, you know, come every September, October, my mood takes a real dip and mm -hmm. I've really, I really started to notice it. So there you go. Consistency, persistency, a pattern that would occur year after year. So Ah, uh, seasonal depression. Yeah. <laughs> well, it it that's I'm trying to think about how to phrase this because one of the other tricky things about mental health diagnoses is that they are culturally bound. Absolutely. 
and there's no swab we can give. Like if you, if you ever have strep throat and or you think you have strep throat, you go to a physician. The physician knows there's certain, you know, strains of bacteria or viruses that are associated with strep throat. They do the swab, they do a culture. Oh, yeah, you've got strep here. Let me give you this medication. There's nothing we can do for for that when it comes to various mental health diagnoses because these are collections of behaviors that manifest outwardly for you know disruptive internal experiences that we've decided are disruptive and that makes it even trickier because you can look at somebody who's coming from a different culture or who has a different background and misjudge their experiences horribly and that's the and frankly that's the result of a lot of evils within the history of psychology you know, yeah. to look at somebody else's simply different experiences and judging them as pathological. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to see that a lot with um, with immigrant youth, um, and the family expectations on on immigrant youth were very very different. So from the outside, it might look like um, they weren't the developmental process of independence um, of a certain amount of, say, rebellion from their families in order to establish self. Very, very Western construct, right? Um, so you have a South Asian family where often, and this was, say, quite common 10 to 15 years ago, um, you might have parents who aren't native English speakers and require their teen children to do a lot of translating for them or to help them navigate through the culture. And, um, you know, somebody who doesn't understand what's going on might say, well, that kid, you know, isn't getting to do their life and they're super enmeshed with their family and, you know, have a tremendous amount of judgment on the level of anxiety that kid might be experiencing. But that anxiety must be might be profoundly justified given the precarious nature of the family's circumstances and what they're struggling with. So, yeah, that kind of came up a few times. Well, and and teasing those, I, I think I've I've mentioned this before, but you know, back in my training days when I was when I was giving a bunch of psychological diagnostic tests uh, for people, there were a lot of times where I had to explain certain things because people thought it would people thought the results would be one thing based on the external symptoms they were seeing, but really I thought it was something else based on you know the evaluations i was doing and people come in with a lot of preconceived notions about what a diagnosis should be based on one or two one or two markers mm -hmm. and i i think if chat if y'all get nothing else out of this no single mental health diagnosis is based on just one or two markers absolutely okay it's it, it's just not there are so many complicating factors to this. And one of the ones we haven't even brought up yet is medical conditions. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Like if, if you've got somebody, if you've got somebody, a practitioner who isn't hip to the idea that certain medical conditions can also manifest as behavioral emotional symptoms, then that's, that's a challenge too. Probably the most commonly brought up ones are thyroid disorders. Yeah that if you've got a low thyroid 
you know, level low thyroid levels in your body, that looks a lot like depression. And there are a lot of people who have been misdiagnosed because their diagnostician didn't take into mind medical conditions. And, you know, they're depressed, they're depressed, they're going through all this stuff. Suddenly they get somebody who can diagnose them a thyroid med and boops, they're all better. That's right. And I've certainly known people on thyroid meds who have trouble with sleep and high anxiety. And it's not actually anxiety. Their thyroid levels are just really high. Yep. A little too yes. high, meds aren't being managed correctly or haven't been looked at again in some time because you do need to keep doing. Um, another thing, thyroid aside, med reviews are so important. If you are on medication, going back, looking at the medication, is it continuing to serve you? Is there something maybe that you could try on the market? And if you're trying a new medication, are you in a stable place when you do it? You know, because again, medications can affect your mental health and not just the ones that are designed for your mental health. Well, and so, and you bring up a good point that so can environmental stressors. Absolutely. You know, there's, uh, boy, I'm, I'm dropping all, I'm dropping all the grad school terms on y'all today. Okay. <laughs> you, you ready for this one? Are you ready for this one, chat? I don't care if you're ready for this one because you're going to get it anyway. Are your but, socks firmly on your feet because they may about to be blown off? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to learn diathesis stress model. There will be a test. How, how are we administering this test? Uh, if, we, if we ever, if we ever have to end the show, the last episode has to be a test. I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, there will be a this will be on the final. The diathesis stress model. Um, no. So what that what that basically means is the diathesis stress model is a way of like if you anyone's ever asked you um is it nature versus nurture the diathesis stress model says yes <laughs> because it takes into account the idea that we might have certain genetic predispositions or vulnerabilities to things mm -hmm. but they don't manifest unless environmental stressors kick in so if we think about it like a water glass um I don't know why that's there, but that's a whiskey glass. Um, that, oh, how we'll handy. Just, we'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I try to keep it PG around here. Um, but yes, this is the only glass I have on my desk right now, but we're going to go with this anyway. So let's imagine this water glass. Should we use yep. my more wholesome tea mug? <laughs> there I you have, go. And I that have, way yeah, I can got, also I've take a sip. One. Okay. So good. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um... Did I just so, did I just drink your metaphor? <laughs> I did. So, I will drink your metaphor. Drink the metaphor. It is hearty if, and a fine so everybody metaphor. is born with certain vulnerabilities. And if we think about it, it's like the water filling the cup of the glass up to certain levels. Everybody has those vulnerabilities to certain levels. Some people are born with their water levels higher than others. But enough environmental stressors can make anybody's water glass overfill overflow and spill over and that's something that we also need to take into consideration when we're talking about these environmental stressors are they simply under an extraordinary amount of stress and will the symptoms dissipate after that stress abates there is a name for something like that that's called an adjustment disorder yeah. that's in the dsm as well and that can look a lot like depression or anxiety Absolutely. or behavioral problems so there are just so many factors to consider when doing diagnoses. And when we think about it, 
is there is there there's a reason to get people get it wrong all the time absolutely mm-hmm. yeah i mean people don't always take their circumstances into account and that's going to sound weird but the trouble with our circumstances is we're used to them you know we normalize them right i feel attacked it's not just drinking your metaphor although i believe star chaser 43 says i internalized it thank you thank you (laughs) actually i'll be here next week to be clear but anyway um where was i okay um environmental circumstances right environmental circumstances so for example um bereavement loss of place can look a lot like depression too so somebody um, settles in a community that's different from their previous one. Maybe it's maybe it's even only a thirty miles away. But I I've worked with youth who've switched schools at the wrong time, and by the wrong time, I just mean middle school, for example, is a really tough time to lose all your friends. Right. So so when people switch schools, it can also create this sort of sense of depression, high anxiety. Of course, right? But if we're not taking that into account, we might misdiagnose this kid. I I would ask that we not talk about my life like that. It's, uh... <laughs> or mine. No, it's, it's incredibly disruptive. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's incredibly, incredibly disruptive. And yeah, those environmental circumstances, they, they're huge. Right. And let's consider the pandemic. Right? Somebody who's been doing okay. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> Only briefly. Only to bring up, because we're all experiencing it. So it's such a great example. Sorry. I know, I get carried away. Um, it's a terrible example because it's so true. But it's an example that I think we can all recognize that there's been more uh, challenges to everyone's mental health. Right? Without the supports that are usually in place to stabilize and keep us happy and keep us feeling resourced, we might all experience some more very understandable increase to our levels of depression and anxiety. Right? Does this mean that we have clinical depression? Not necessarily. Does this mean that somebody who's been struggling before might now be experiencing clinical depression? Absolutely. And that's the Mm -hmm. point. So. Yeah. I, I was actually going to, to to bring up the part of the pandemic thing myself with like when you're talking about the think about all of the things that you have going on like meds or you know medical conditions something like that like people this past year easily forgot that they're that they were trying to do their normal amount of work during a pandemic and then feeling bad that they weren't doing the normal amount of work in a pandemic so it, it's easy it's easy to forget some of the things that you have going on absolutely that could be a contributor that's right. right. That's right. Well, and Mitra brought up a really good point about that, that we tend to normalize our own experiences as um, there, there is a thing called the consensus effect where we kind of assume if it's normal for us, it's normal for other people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and funnily enough, it was, I mean, it wasn't until grad school that I, I realized that some of my childhood experiences really weren't normal <laughs> there was a i think there was a joke on brooklyn 99 where where jake would say like eh, i talk about things as a joke and then people think uh, say dude that's a serious trauma <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they just get awkward i had so many of those moments in grad school where i'm just casually talking about childhood experiences and suddenly this entire room of people were like um 
are you okay? I'm like, what? <laughs> huh? Sorry? Hmm? <laughs> but yeah, we tend to, a lot of us tend to normalize our experiences and think it's not, it's not, yeah, it, that's a huge challenge to overcome in some of this mm-hmm. stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Someone sort of asked if, if uh, mid-review, what did that, like, is that a pill-pushing economy? Sorry, I, I, I'm I not remembering. I just saw that in the chat and I just wanted to quickly address. Mm. Um, if you're on medication, regular reviews of how that medication is working for you are crucial. That's mm-hmm. what yeah. I mean by mid-review. To just clarify that for anyone watching, listening, um, you just want to regularly assess how you're doing. You just want good monitoring if you're if you're on medication. That's yeah. it. Um, I think that is a good place to take a quick break to remind our viewers and listeners of our disclaimer. And when we come back, we'll have more to discuss and then check in with chat. So we'll be right back. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Sometimes I wish that people could actually see us while that disclaimer is going over because we suddenly just turn into three people waiting in a like a waiting room somewhere <laughs> so we can't talk. I know, it's true. I was just reading um, the chat. That's often what yeah, I do so, when it goes on. Suddenly it's, the, it's like the elevator rules where yes. everyone has to stare directly at what's in front of them. No one's exactly. looking at the camera. We can't, we can't do it. Yeah. Um, uh, as an aside from that, yeah. I had a, I had an undergrad professor who was, uh, l- let's say, impish. Mm-hmm. And he would prescribe homework for his students where we had to go out and, my, in minor ways, violate social norms. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Boy, let me tell you how awkward it gets when you just start talking to people in an elevator Whoa. that you've never met oh, before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hard pass. <laughs> Pe- I, people have done that to me. And I'm like, please no. Uh <laughs> So I feel, in retrospect, I feel terribly about having done that <laughs> or staring at the back wall as they enter. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, so we, we have a few examples of what uh, uh, the, these these diagnostics are uh, but or diagnoses are. What are some things that we could possibly do with that information? Matra? Hmm. So... I'll address two things. First of all, the question, and then somebody had asked, you know, what in the chat, what what do we do if we can't seek help? Okay, so let's address, first of all, assuming there is some help to be found, um, it's really important to get other people to weigh in on their experience of you as well as more fully understanding your own experience of you because both are important. Um as Dr. B mentioned at the beginning, there's this piece around the a diagnosis is an external 
uh, what's the word for it? I think I said that the that mental health diagnoses are we're looking for external clues for external clues for internal experiences. That's what I want to say. You can't. Sorry. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you. You. Both are really important. Your internal experience of something is is crucial to that external diagnosis, but the external behaviors that your experience has created, i.e. some of the things you do to cope, some of the ways you feel that other people can see, that also really plays a part into making sense of this. So if you can bring allies into it, people who care deeply about you, people who understand you're struggling, um, as well as being able to get a diagnosis, that right away creates support. Allowing people in whom you trust, who know you're struggling, um, is a really important step because isolation is just going to intensify your feelings. Um, It's just going to make things worse. So if you can find some support around you, that's the first thing. If you can find the mental health support you need, um, if you have a family doctor or preferably a medical um, professional who knows you, that's fantastic. If you don't, if you can develop a relationship um, either with a mental health professional like me, because we can help advocate for your needs, that's also great. If that's not possible, then you need a parent, sibling, friend who's on side who can go with you to an appointment and help advocate for your needs. Because doing it on your own can be too hard. So not being isolated, getting professional support if you can. If you cannot get professional support, then it's really important that your loved ones and that family and social support network is in place. Because accepting and understanding what you are going through, even if you don't fully understand what a diagnosis might look like, accepting and understanding that you're in a tough place and require some help and support from those around you can also at least make it manageable. Well, another another thing I want to add to that hey, is... Hang on, real quick. I just want to point out that during that awesome thing that Mitra just said, I facepalmed. That was not because of anything she said. It's because of a pun that Dr. B made in the chat. I'm just clearing that up for I people who saw I was proud of that. It. I regret nothing. <laughs> I just I wanted to nothing. clear that up. If I don't Continue. keep an eye on you guys... No. <laughs> I know. Listen, I need adult supervision. I know this. I will say this proudly. Uh, proudly, ashamedly, not sure. Oh, you don't way. seem ashamed. I'm just saying. <laughs> he he. But continue, what an <laughs> But no, the um, what Mitra is talking about is bringing in um secondary sources of information because oftentimes our perceptions of ourselves are can be biased one way or the other. Okay, like long before, long before I I, I suspected I was autistic, I struggled with attention challenges, and so I I went in to get an ADHD evaluation. Now we didn't, I didn't think to bring in my parents. I didn't think to bring in friends. I didn't think to bring in teacher reports. And so the only thing they had to rely on was my self-report of my symptoms. And my perceptions of my challenges were so biased that I reported my symptoms in the 99.9th percentile of challenges. My my symptoms are not in the 99.9th percent of challenges. They're just not. Mm-hmm. But 
those secondary sources of information, especially if you're talking about developmental stuff from when you're a kid, that can be important too, because sometimes we don't remember things. You know, human memory is a strange thing. We don't we don't remember things the way they happened. We remember things the way we think they should have happened. And uh, it's like I, how I, I remember the graphics of the N64 when I was a kid. <laughs> right. They were groundbreaking for yes. the time. But now we look back at Mario 64 and go, oof, what is this Lego nightmare? <laughs> I have a story about that, but this is not the time to tell it. It's so good. I, fair, I, that's fair. Let's talk later about the association that the words Lego Nightmare brought to mind with me. <laughs> I'm really curious. So many. That. But um, one of the bits of one of the tips I give to people if they are receiving a diagnosis is to ask the person who's giving them the diagnosis in detail. Why is it this one? versus and this is a this is a term you can use with your providers why is this not a different what are the differential diagnoses basically why is it this and not something else mm -hmm. like if i ever gave someone a diagnosis of um if, if they came to me for attention problems and i was like hey i don't think it's adhd i think you're struggling with ptsd I better be prepared to say mm -hmm. why I think it's PTSD Absolutely. versus ADHD as a primary diagnosis. And if I can't explain that, I, well, one, I shouldn't be giving that diagnosis. And so that's a, that's a, a, a tip I, I give to people a lot, that if you're receiving a diagnosis, you ask them why in detail and why is it not something else? That's a that's a big empowering thing, and I, you know, honestly, for me, if I if I'm with a medical provider or a clinician who can't provide me that explanation, I'm that's a big red flag. I'm I'm bouncing. Absolutely, mm -hmm. um, I trained under someone, a wonderful psychiatrist, actually, who said the label needs to serve the client. What is mm -hmm. the purpose of this diagnosis? How is your life going to change for the better having this diagnosis? What sorts of things do you feel you'll understand better, be able to make accommodation for, get support with, with this diagnosis? Mm -hmm. It's so important that it not just be something that's slapped on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You need well, agency and, in this process. And, yeah. and we've talked about this in previous episodes as well, mm -hmm. that as part of just, you know, having labels slapped on, as so many people who have gone through medical systems have... Mm -hmm. Um, another important question that I, I tell people to ask their medical providers or their mental health, uh, their mental health providers is explain to me the expected course of this diagnosis, explain to me the symptoms of this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. What am I looking, what am, what do I have to look forward to with, with this whole, with this new label that you have given me? And that's an experience not a lot of people have uh, of, you know, they're just, especially if it's a young neurodevelopmental diagnosis that, you know, here you have ADHD. What does that even right. mean? Don't always know. <laughs> right. Hmm. Um, and the reason I mention medication a lot, and I do, is because one of the key things to worry about from a practitioner standpoint is if you're on medication, um, we want to make sure 
that you have monitoring, as in that there's somebody who can keep an eye on you to see how this medication is going. That mid-review piece I talked about is really important with medical professionals in your life. But um, those who are close to you, family and friends, are you better? Are you feeling better? And I say this because you might actually be better from the outside and not really feeling it from the inside yet because there's often a bit of a lag. The other piece that is concerning is that some medications may give you energy without changing your mood right away. And as every professional who works with major depressive depressive disorder knows, um, if you have suicidal ideation and you start taking a new antidepressant, we worry for the first three to four weeks particularly because you might have an uptake of energy in your system but your mood might still be really low and you are going to be more at oh, risk at that point. Yeah. And I just really <clears throat> feel it, it's important to address because you need to make sure that you have supports around you while you're doing that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, risk assessment yeah. is pretty important with some medications. And you know, we're, we're seeing this in the chat with people asking for second opinions. Mm-hmm. And and that's I know that's something, Demetra, you are a big proponent of. Absolutely. Like, well, I, I actually wanted to, to point one out. Um, uh, I won't go through the whole thing, uh, but a uh, uh, person said essentially that the, the first uh, clinic, uh, clinician they saw uh, said it was this because of this. But that didn't line up with what they were experiencing, so they went to another person, and that person essentially just read the first clinician's notes and had made up their mind before they even met them. So what what is something they can do from there? Um, one back in the days when I used to see people, one of the th- one of the ways I would frame it with them is that make it explicitly clear: I work for you. Okay. You are paying me. I work for you. You are my boss. Which it was apparently a weird thing to say to them because no one had ever done that. But it just makes sense to me. Absolutely. And, I do it all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm s- and I, I would say to them that you have the right to know anything that's going on with this because this is your care. Mm-hmm. If you have questions about your care, you have the right to ask about that. You And I, I need to be able to explain that to you. If I agree with the previous clinician's diagnosis, I need to explain why. If I if I feel like we need to change a diagnosis, I need to be able to explain why. But ultimately, you, transparency is the name of the game here. And mm-hmm. you it's your treatment. You have the right to your medical records. You have the right to all this stuff. And so um, that... Again, maybe this is my own bias. If I if I'm not with a provider who can provide that level of clarity, transparency, collaboration, and trust, I'm a bounce. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you have every mm-hmm. right to. And I I I think that that's uh, y- your medical professional and your therapist are there to serve you. Now, I appreciate with medical professionals sometimes it's really tough because. We don't always have the option of who we're seeing. We are, for instance, in British Columbia, experiencing a massive GP shortage. There's a lot of family practitioners who aren't taking clients, or I mean patients. I often think of people as clients regardless, because mm-hmm. I think well, of them both as... Both words are useful in right, certain contexts. Exactly. But so no one's taking, 
And so people are in a pretty hard place and you're kind of stuck sometimes with a, with a medical professional you don't love. This is where I think taking an advocate with you or getting your therapist to call your doctor is a really good idea. Because given the permissions, because I can't just phone up your doctor any old time, even if I know who they are. But given the permissions, I can say, I see them every week. This is what I see. These are some of the challenges they're experiencing with medication if they're on it. These are some of the reasons I think that they might be interested in getting some support around medication if they're not. Or just, this is what I'm seeing. I hear you're mm-hmm. prescribing this thing, but I'm not sure it's a fit based on what they're sharing with me. Let's have a chat about that. So, mm-hmm. Well, and that's part of the reason that, um, so back back in, when I was training in various settings, we we had what were called multidisciplinary treatment teams. And so we would have weekly meetings of the psychiatrists, the psychologists, the caseworkers, the the people who just saw the the folks we were working with on a moment to moment basis, the the folks who were you know in the houses, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody's perspective was welcome, and everybody's perspective added to things because you know. And I know somebody brought this up in the chat way, way, way back earlier in this episode. People don't always report their experiences accurately for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's shame that involved with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about maybe it's just a normal thing to them and they just don't think it's a problem. Um, there's a lot of reasons people's self-reporting might be kind of biased. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't I don't mean that in a judgmental way. We're just, you know, as people, oh. we're biased about our experiences. Oh, I think particularly in North America, there's such a push to appear positive. So, you know, uh-huh. I'll sit down with a client and I'll be like, so, Toxic positivity. you know, how are you? And they'll be like, oh, I'm fine. How are you? And I'm like, okay, you're with your therapist. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Just tell me how you really are. Yeah, I don't actually Man, I, say I, all of that, but you get the idea. It's like that, that there's that knee jerk, I'm fine. And mm-hmm. I think uh-huh. what I often see as well is people, particularly if they've experienced neglect in their childhood, um, they often worry about being dramatic. And this is a word that comes up over and over. I see it so much. Or they've been accused in their childhood of being melodramatic. So they learn to minimize their true emotional responses. And in terms of diagnosis, it's so important that we unlearn some of that. Because if, if if I don't know where you really are, and if I think, wow, you're really, you know, you're telling me, Say a 10 is fantastic and a 1 is I can't get up off the floor. And I think from what you're saying that you're maybe a 5, that's not going to help you. If you're, mm-hmm. if what you are is a 2 or a 3, I need to know because then we yeah. can also measure your progress as things get better. We have to know your starting point. Yeah. And, and it, you have to know mm. your starting point is okay. It can get better. Like the, the so there like okay, there's a lot of problems with this damn show, but you know that that show house he was always like patients lie, and a lot of people took that as in like oh everybody lies. I'm like no, you should be taking it as being honest with what is going on with you. Yeah. Like don't don't be that person. Talk about it. Don't try and you know quote unquote man up for your doctor. Yeah, do not talk about what like like you were saying, like you'd sit down with the or like somebody sit down with the therapist and be like, I'm fine. I'd sit down with my therapist, they're like, How you doing? I just go, 
Woof. Uh. <laughs> yes. Good. <laughs> it, it. Well, and that's that's part of the that's part of the reason that I say that bringing in secondary sources of coll- collateral information is helpful because, again, I, I we're biased in how how we self report. It's just who we are as human beings, and that's fine. That's just a factor. Um, that's not a that's not a good thing. That's not a bad thing. It's just a thing, mm-hmm. and we tend most people tend to give a give a positive spin on some of their experiences some people give a negative experience mm-hmm. a negative spin some people assume their experiences are normal when they are quite out of that realm of expected experiences and the, but it is vulnerable it is mm-hmm. so vulnerable to be open like that yeah. with a therapist and Cy Morgan, oh my God, I just read that. And that was actually with some of the clients I used to have really well established relationships with. That was kind of my answer when they're like, I'm fine. Okay, well, then I guess you don't need to be here, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So here's what's really going on. There we go. The, there, there was there was a lot of people there uh, with the uh, how are you doing? Uh, I'm or how's it going? I'm here. That was my response yeah. every day yes. of working at a restaurant. Yes, every that's my response. Day. When I see my therapist, how how are you doing? Well, I'm still coming back. Like I I remember one time one of my one of my coworkers got irritated with me like you say that every time how how are you actually I'm just like okay here's everything on my mind and I list off everything I had to do as soon as I clocked in they're like all right you know what I'm here's fine I'll take the short version <laughs> I'll, I'll take it the short version yeah well you but know it's go on no it, it's it's being vulnerable with another person like being tr- completely truly open with them is a challenging thing because you're you're trusting them enough to not hurt you yeah and that's what being vulnerable is is trusting another person to not hurt you with the information you give them and this is part of the reason that um i i advocate over and over and over again that your mental health professional especially should be somebody you trust should be someone who you can have a working relationship with who not if, but when there is a miscommunication, they work to repair that. Um, and that is the reason that the relationship is the single greatest controllable factor in mental health outcomes when working with somebody. Mm-hmm. And if I don't trust that person, again, bounce. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's also that you may come in to see a mental health profession with the experience of nobody's really been there to hold space for your pain. So mm-hmm. mostly you've gotten, oh, I'm sure you'll be fine. You'll get some cheerleading. You'll be fine uh, by the end of the day. You might get defensiveness. And this is quite common of, uh, of kids with their parents, even adult um, children might want to address some things with a parent um, and they might feel the parent's defensiveness to hearing it. Well, but you were fine, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And mostly... It's hard to be heard. So when you come into a situation with someone who's actually going to hold the space for you, there is a trust relationship that needs to be built first. Will you hurt me? Will you hear me? Can you hold the space? Will you rush to cheerlead or will you rush to fix? Yeah. Because none of that is useful. I can't know what the answer is for any client who walks through my door until I get to know them. Yep, and mm-hmm. that's a process. That's a process, absolutely. Yeah. 
it's not just the first day i'm just going to dump everything on you that's right like, completely honestly no mm-hmm. there's it's a process yeah um so we we uh we went a little long uh today so we didn't get a chance to fully check in the chat we got a little bit in there but i did want to call one of them that's very quick uh this is from uh henry lowenwind uh which is uh this I is in reference name <laughs> uh this is from this is in reference to the uh the test if we ever did one uh, they say multiple choice test with 16 questions and the uh chosen letters are the chest code and i kind of absolutely love that idea <laughs> I really, really love that. I really, really love that. Um, but yeah, that is uh, that is unfortunately going to be all the time oh. that we have uh, this week for our discussions. Uh, I do apologize if uh, we weren't able to get to your question. Uh, hopefully something that was said in the interim helped you out in that way. Uh, but uh, friends, uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? Mitra? Well, yours is the longer answer, so I'll happily go first. <laughs> um, so, at Mitra Jordan is my Twitter handle. I'm easily found there. I'm also very easy to find online at mitrajordan.com. Um, and so, I'm certainly available if people would like to be in contact. And over to you, Dr. V. <laughs> uh, so I am Dr. V. I can be found at the Dr. B, T-H-E-E-D-O-C-T-O-R-B as in boy on all the social medias. But really, if you're looking for me, the more important account to follow is Take This. And that's Take This Org on all of the socials. Go check out takethis.org for more mental health resources, articles. Um, we've been doing more mental health minutes. I'm particularly proud of this week and last week's uh, so yeah, but again, like if you want to follow me, T H E E D O C T O R B. Uh, you can find me on the Difficulty Class podcast every Friday, as well as Champions Lore now on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv any Game. So tomorrow, see y'all there. Um, and uh, yeah, you can also find me on Twitter at the Trevor and all of the too many podcasts that I do. Uh, thank you to Jay for moderating the chat as always, and thank you for Codename Entertainment and Take This for giving us an opportunity to have these discussions. Uh, if you missed any part of this show, you can catch it later as a podcast at 2 p.m. Uh, and if you have any suggestions for future topics that you'd want to hear us talk about, you can send those into Champions of Psychology at uh, CodenameEntertainment.com. I almost said Gmail. That would have been completely wrong. Somebody's, somebody's <laughs> got this weird email address, and they're, they're getting strange emails now. Um, for those of you that are live with us, just as a heads up, uh, Bardic Inspiration is off this week and next week, so enjoy the rest of your day. Play a bunch of Isle Champions. Got a chess code. Hope it gave you something good. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that is going to do it for this week's episode, so until next week, take care of yourself. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.